There is a serious tendency towards capitalism among the well-to-do peasants. Mao Zedong. So who are the eight immortal families of China? Uh, that's what we're going to answer in today's episode of Old Money. Uh, welcome to Analyze of Finance with Nick. This special old money we're talking about China and who really controls things in that country. Um, I'm doing a different kind of presentation here because I wanted to show the infographics that Bloomberg created. This is a little over 10 years ago, December 26, 2012. Bloomberg had some great journalism here where they mapped out the eight immortals who were kind of known as some of the power brokers within the Chinese Communist Party uh, during Mao's times and in the immediate wake of Mao's times. And how these influential members of the Politburo and other leadership roles in the Communist Party, how their descendants today are effectively still the ruling class of China. Uh, their children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, and the in-laws of them all, all tend to be in very powerful places and live a life that is not in line with the egalitarian uh, ethos that the Chinese Communist Party is built upon. It, I think this also kind of coincidentally um, came out shortly before the shortly after the turnover of Hu Jintao to Xi Jinping in power. And as a result, this has kind of been pushed under the rug given um, Xi's connection to the Eight of Morals, which honestly is kind of a misnomer. It's kind of like the Big Ten is no longer 10 teams in college sports. I would say in terms of the immortal families, there are more like 10 of them versus just eight. But the eight that is mentioned in this Bloomberg article are Deng Xiaoping, who was the primary leader after Mao Zedong in China and was the first to kind of move their economy more towards a market economy over a purely communistic one. Uh, there's Bo Yibo, who was the first um, finance minister of communist China and served four terms the vice premier. Um, he was purged during the Cultural Revolution, but he came back to help Yang. Uh, his son, Bo Lai was supposed to be the successor to Hu Jintao, but he got embroiled in a corruption scandal and therefore Xi Jinping took his place at the head of the line for the successor to Hu Jintao in 2012. Uh, Chen Yun is one of the other earliest members of the CCP. Um, he also ran economic policy along with Deng in the 1980s. And um, the next one is Song Rengjiang. Uh, also, he was a Communist Party war hero during the Civil War and kind of ran their space and technology industries and was one of the elders in the country. And then there's the Pang family. I know in, when you write a Chinese name, uh, in traditional Chinese, the last name is first and the first name is second. So 
it's not the Zhao Dang, it's the Dang family, not the Zhao Ping family. Whereas when you meet Chinese Americans, they write more the conventional way where they put their first name or even adopt an anglicized first name to so their Chinese name and then followed by their family name. Uh, so the Pang family uh, was also purged during the Cultural Revolution but came back under Dang. And uh, Wang Zhen is the Wang family. Uh, he was the, the military post Cultural Revolution. There's the Li family. Um, they, they, the thing in common with them, there's the Yang family. And what's all in common with these people is that they have either ties to the military or economic reforms. The Yang family, particularly, uh, is the chairman of the military during the crackdown of Tiananmen Square. So these are the original elders or the eight immortals. And the term of the eight immortals, what it comes from is Taoist legend, where there are eight immortal deities that rule over China. And the eight immortals in this case are not necessarily the people themselves. Uh, these guys have all passed away at this point. But it's more of the their families still are the people in charge of the country, even as it is built, the Communist, Communist Party is built on the idea of equality and no ruling class and meritocracy. Another term for these descendants in common China talk is known as the princeling. So now we know who the patriarchs are. Let's just see um, how they are interconnected. So you can see like a lot of their descendants are connected through business ties, marriages, and political ties. And so it's an interwoven network. I'm not going to go into reading every single one of these, but I will have this article in the description. So if you want to read about how all the families are connected, uh, minimum, all the families are connected to at least two of the other families, with the Chen family being connected the most with five of the eight families mentioned. So then you look at some trends within these, um, their descendants of the eight immortals. Uh, the 30 of the descendants, there's 103 people who are either direct descendants, grandchildren, or married into the family or great-grandchildren of the eight immortals. And this will show you some common trends and which of the clans have these trends. First, educated overseas. 30 of them have been educated overseas, with 23 of them being having a U.S. education and 11 of them studied at the elite universities in the U.S., like the Ivy League plus MIT and Stanford. Um, and seven of the eight families, the Pangs are the only exception to not have at least one family member educated overseas. Uh, next one is studied or worked or owned property in the U.S. Similar. The Pang family is the only one that doesn't have ties, but 34 of them uh, had at least some experience in the United States, with 12 of them owning property in the United States. Uh, that's what we know. There's a lot of them probably own more through anonymous LLCs. Executives in private business, uh, executives or directors of private or publicly listed companies. Um, all of them, except the Lee family, have um, ownership of large businesses in China. Uh, 24 of them own the businesses 
and seven of those owners uh, are specifically in the Wang clan. Uh, executives, state-owned enterprises, which are directly controlled by the government, you have 26 of them, and you have members of every family having um, C-suite executives in the state-owned enterprises. Uh, held government or Communist Party positions, uh, 30 of them. And 24 of those, and 29 of both of these last two, were the second generation, so it's not and this was 10 years ago, so it may have changed since then. And it's probably all these numbers are bigger because that's when the next generation, um, the ones who are millennial and Gen Z in, this, in these dynasties, will have gotten their American educations. They will have their positions either in large private companies in China or their executives in state-owned companies. So I, I assume all these numbers are larger just due to um, the demographic changes in the last 10 years. And, and no, a lot of the second generation ones are probably close to retirement age now or closer than they used to be. Like, like for example, Mao's grandson is 50 years old. So that shows you that there is kind of a turnover here. And so 30 of them all have state-owned um, executive positions. Uh, links to companies registered offshore that have been proven. Um, a lot of these we don't know just due to privacy laws in places such as the Cayman Islands and the British Virgin Islands and even like South Dakota in the United States. So there are at least five of the, uh, no, six of the eight families have companies confirmed to be registered by 18 different people within those families. Uh, ties to the Chinese military, 25 of the uh of these people, elites have ties to the Chinese military, with the Bo family being the only one who doesn't. And Bo Jilai was that was once the heir apparent to be the president of China, so they had deep political ties too. Worked in finance, twenty-seven. Only the Lee family did not have a family member who at least did not work in finance. And eight of those worked in private equity or venture capital. Worked in technology, twenty-one. Yet the Lee family once again is the only one who doesn't have um, a tech experience in the family. And the last one, working real estate, and that's not, all of them have at least one family member who's worked in real estate, and they probably own large amounts of real estate, both domestically and offshore. And so why do I say there's 10 families and not eight? And that's because when I look at the examples on Wikipedia for the Princelings, there's a few notable names that are not part of those eight immortal families, but whose power is just as immortal. Like one of them is the Xi family. Uh, Xi Jinping, um, who is the current president of China, is the son of Xi Zhongun, who is a key political and military figure in China before he got kicked out during the Cultural Revolution and was brought back afterwards. Similar story to the eight immortal families. Uh, the G family should be just included because if they were not one of these families, I don't think Xi Jinping would have had the means or the connections to be able to dislodge Bo Lai and get him embroiled in the corruption scandal. Uh, I'm not saying Xi Jinping is directly the one who did that, but he was able to capitalize off the opportunity of one of the other 
princeling families facing um, legal trouble. And then the other one is the descendants of Mao himself. Um, Mao's grandson actually is a major general still in the, in the People's Liberation Army. And you don't really people think about that, but the connections still run deep. So what does this mean for China? It means that China just got rid of one ruling class, or well, a lot of them flee to Taiwan, which well, we can get into that in a future video of Taiwanese old money. But they either were fled to, fled to Taiwan or had all of their assets seized just to be replaced by the eight immortal families. And you hear a lot about the eight immortal families in conspiracy theory talks, that they are part of the global elite who are trying to run things around the world and partnered with the Anglo-American and Western elites to do that. I don't really, and they show up to things like the Bilderbergers and the Council on Foreign Relations and on. I can't really verify that. That's kind of out of my purview as an economics and finance channel. But if you look at the economic and financial ties, and I use that 2012 article because it's the most comprehensive and the most recent thing I could find that goes into sufficient detail. Um, you could see that the eight immortal families still have a disproportionate influence in China, even as all the founding patriarchs are either passed away or if they haven't, are extremely old now. And it doesn't look like that these families are going to lose their grip on power anytime soon as long as the CCP is running China. What do you think about the immortal families? What did you know about them before you watch this video? Is this new to you or is this something that um, was far more common knowledge than I believed it was? Like, I kind of heard it just from obscure intellectual discussions I've had with China experts, but it could be a more ubiquitous idea than I thought in the past. Uh, that wraps up this episode of Old Money. Thank you for watching.